listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, God bless you as you start heading back to your seats. Wonderful to have you all with us today in the house of the Lord. and worship team. We have, we're so blessed to have a tremendous praise and worship team here. Let's give them a hand right now. They are fantastic. They, of course, work very hard as a worship, to be a part of the worship, and we are honored to have them. So uh, our friends and guests, thank you for coming. We love you. Try to feel at home. We're going to treat you like we know you, and pretty soon we will. Speaking of which, if you're wanting to find out more information about our church, um, or if you'd like to uh, ask questions specifically uh, that may be appropriate to you and your your background, your experiences, um, First Steps is a small group we do right after the 11 a.m. service. It happens every week. Uh, today we're on Lesson 4, which is the personality test. Um, if you want to become a member of the church, this is the path. It gives us a chance to know you, you a chance to know us. And we treat each session, you can start anytime, you don't have to start on lesson one. They're just, they're structured in four, but you can start anytime, anytime. they're designed that way. We feed you, uh, we want to get to know you. We, we, we know the importance of creating a space and making time. Uh, if we don't do that, then years can pass and we don't really know each other. So uh, that's today after the service at, uh, usually it starts about 15 minutes after the end of the service. And since I'm going to preach two or three hours today, it'll probably be later on when we get to that. Praise the Lord, somebody. All right, so I'm going to be uh, speaking today from uh, John chapter number four. And it is, of course, the passage of the woman at the, at the well and Jesus talking with her. And so I'm going to tell you the story. We're going to get started and just dive right into the story. There's so many uh, theologically rich truths in the story that I want to, I want to share with you. Um, but I want to tell you what, before we get started, let me just pray over you here. I, I really feel like that somebody here today is at uh, a crossroads. Uh, so rather than explain, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I feel like there's somebody here today who needs to turn the direction of their life uh, back toward uh, you. Uh, they, they maybe at a time of their life have been closer than they are right now. And uh, they, it's not that they have sought to turn away from you. They've just, they're so filled with distraction in their life that they feel right now the unction, the, the word of life speaking to them and challenging them to, to turn their, the direction of their heart back to you, back to eternal things back toward the kingdom of God. Don't let them just be unstirred today, but knock loudly on the door of their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, this this gospel of John is so rich. It is my favorite gospel. Um, not that we necessarily should have favorite gospels, but I think it's inevitable that we do. Um, Luke writes from one perspective. Mark writes from one perspective. It's inevitable that we have uh, things that are special to us. The Gospel of John is special to me. Uh, John does not tell the story of Jesus from the perspective of an observer. He, he tells and teaches from the perspective of one who understands and is trying to get you to know more than the story 
this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Uh, he very much has themes that he thinks, if you can grasp, will fundamentally change your life. He believes that if you can see, that you will never unsee. It will change your life. And so John, uh, he doesn't start with who was born and to whom. He starts with big ideas. He wants you to get the spiritual context. And so when he begins his gospel, he doesn't talk in terms of things like uh, this one beget that one. He says, um, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking in terms of theological understanding, divine insight. And so most theologians, if they talk to someone who has never read any of the Gospels or any of the New Testament, they, they almost to a man will recommend that you start with the Gospel of John. Because more than any of the other uh, writers, John is, uh, he, he is comfortable not just telling you a story, but kind of giving you a framework of spiritual understanding, a divine context. And so his choice, I want you to see this, his choice to spend most of chapter number four telling us the story of one woman who wasn't even a Jew must have deep insight and understanding to him that he wants to convey to us. And so the woman, the story of the woman at the well is not just because there aren't other stories. There are hundreds of stories. In fact, John is going to be the one who says, uh, if everything that Jesus did or said was written down, the world could not contain the books uh, that would be given, which is just a, uh, a rhetorical way of saying, I have too much than I, more, more than I can share. It's kind of like when I'm preaching and, you know, I'm af- after I've preached for a couple hours, I'm like, look, I just have to quit. Uh, I can't keep going anymore. Uh, we're just going to have to stop there. That is the sense of the richness of the Apostle John's understanding into the work of Jesus Christ and how much he wants to share it with you and and, and give it to you, not just as a thou shalt and thou shalt not, but as though a wise man took you out to lunch and said, look, I've got some things. You've got to get these things. You need to understand these things. There is depth. There is profound scriptural understanding in these things. I don't know why my mic is popping. I think it's demonic. And I think even now there's a warlock or a witch somewhere here in the house. And so, yeah, just bring it up here. I'll switch to it if I get desperate. Um, So smile at your neighbor and say, is it you? (laughs) Now tell them if it keeps happening, I know it's you. (laughs) No pressure on production up there. No, no, no pressure. Uh, So, so this, I want you to see the uniqueness of John taking a story He only has so many chapters, and he spends most of chapter number four telling the story of the woman at the well. Now, let me set it up. So he he starts it in verse number one by giving us understanding. What had happened among the, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite of Israel is they started comparing the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of John the Baptist. And this was, and they turned it into a game of who had baptized more people. Now, I want you to think about this. So the Pharisees have turned the ministry 
ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus Christ into a game that ultimately is competition. It is in their hearts to compare themselves one with another. They have created a religious culture, a toxic religious culture of caring, uh, comparing themselves one with another. And so when it comes to the anointing that is upon John the Baptist and the anointing that is upon Jesus Christ, they do what is in their hearts. That's what all of us do. Your life reveals your heart. They apply their toxic religiosity of comparing one with another to Jesus and to John the Baptist. And if you want to make God, Jesus, run the other direction, put him in a competition by comparing him to someone else. What does Jesus do? As soon as they start this game, he leaves town. There's some, there's some wisdom there, my brother and my sister. Uh, you want to get God to, to, to exit your life? Create an atmosphere where you're comparing yourself with other people. And you're not looking at the anointing. And you're not focused on the mission. And you're not on the call. But you're now comparing one with one another. The Lord runs as fast as he can from that type of a toxic environment. And it's not just normal people who can do it. Us ministers can fall into the habit of comparing ourselves one with another. And then wonder why the Spirit stops moving among us. Oh, I'm going to get to preach here in a little while. It might make you mad, but I'm good with that. I'm leaving town tomorrow. I'm leaving the patin with the mess, and I am going away. So go ahead, get mad. See if I care. Just kidding. So you, you see the idea here. The, 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 they have created this toxic environment. What does Jesus do? He says, no, nah, out of here, leaving. Um, you are called to focus on the mission God has given you. If you want to lose that, focus on other people. Look at what other people have or haven't done, should or should not do, and you will lose the, the voice of God in your life. Jesus leaves. He won't, he won't stay there. And he doesn't even... And he he leaves and goes right through Samaria, which in its own way is, a, is an interesting image. And uh, the reason why is observant Jews would not travel through Samaria. Uh, if you were to think of, of the Holy Land, um, you would think almost kind of like a, a, a rectangle up vertically. Samaria is kind of in the middle, taking one side. And so if you wanted to go uh, to the northern part of the land, you would have to go around that, around that box, up and then back over. Uh, and they, because they had been taught, many rabbis are on the record as talking about, uh, you should have no dealings with the Samaritans. They are, the, they are people of false doctrine. They are not of the house of Israel. Uh, they've claimed the promises, but they don't qualify. And so they're not of the house and so have nothing to do with them. And the rabbis taught not to speak to them. The rabbis taught not to share a meal with them, not to do business with them, to have no interaction. In fact, the most righteous of the Pharisees and that, that type, that ilk, I should say, they wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would take a twice as long journey just to go through. And this became a, a form of, 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 of signaling one to another. And that's the result of that comparative, um, the comparative religion uh, where we're comparing ourselves one, uh, one to another and we're no longer serving God and seeking after God, but now we're competing with one another. You know, it's like I prayed an hour yesterday. Really? I'm a little tired. I prayed an hour and a half. You prayed an hour and a half, really? I pray an hour and a half on, uh, on, on Sunday because I'm in church twice, but I pray two hours most day of the week. You pray two hours? Well, not only that, I've been on a three-day fast. This comparative toxic, it's not of God, folks. It's just as much carnal as some kid who wants to go out and look at something. They look, it's just a different kind of carnality. Right. 
It's just as carnal as somebody who wants to go out and uh, party like a rock star. It's, it's just a different kind of carnality. Don't be deceived. These things are not of God. Our focus must be on God. Our heart must be for his call. Our spirit. It, once, look, if you, once you know who you are in God, you'll never want to be anybody else. Is that okay? Is that okay? I, I'm making you mad anyway. I might as well get double for my money, right? Uh, is that, if, what, if you want to be like someone else, there's a chance you don't know who you are in God. Because God has an investment in you. And God has moved heaven and moved earth to use you as a tool in his hand. A vessel unto honor in the kingdom of God. Somebody say yes. yes. And so I want you to desire who God says you are. Not compare yourself with someone else. That's a path of frustration. And it's just as carnal as slipping off and doing something sinful. Anyway, moving on. Even though that's in my spirit. And I need to preach to this section a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to move on. And so uh, here you see Jesus not following the signaling of I'm too good for them. He goes right through Samaria and uh, he is uh, at this city and he stays on the outside of the city. His disciples go in town to buy food and a woman, the famous, and this is all John Force, a woman comes to the well. It's the middle of the day, middle of the, hot, the hottest part of the afternoon, three in the afternoon. Uh, Jesus is by himself there. This woman comes. Jesus speaks to her. It shocks her. A Jew, uh, in this culture, men do not speak to women unless their uh, husbands are with them. That's number one. That's taught by the rabbis. Not all of them, but you can find that. Uh, the second thing is uh, a Jew would not speak to a, uh, a, a Samaritan, whether they're a man or a woman, because them folks are of the devil. Everybody knows it. Uh, and so that's, the, and Jesus speaks to her, and she, that's the first surprise that she has, is that he would speak to her, and he asked her to give him a drink, and she said, Uh, Well, uh, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, John said. Jesus answered, said, look, if you knew. Somebody say, if I knew. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, I want you to hear this because I'm coming back to this. If I knew... I would have asked. I want to speak to somebody here today, and I want to tell you, if you knew what God could do in your circumstance, you would ask. But your faith is not allowing you to see what God could do in your life. I don't care how bad your situation is. If you knew what God could do, you would ask. You wouldn't let this just be another Sunday. You wouldn't go through a religious routine. If you knew how God could make everything in your life new, you would ask. If you knew how God could show up, speak faith to you, deliverance fall on you, healing roar through you, if you knew... You would ask. You would say, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. I have something I've got to ask. Do you have any idea what that man could do for me? He could change everything for me. Do you have any idea how God could bless me? He could change everything. I would ask if I knew. 
you, you, you need to think about how God, I was praying Saturday, uh, true story, I was praying Saturday, and I was just thinking about, actually it's after prayer, I'm driving home, and I was actually thinking um, about, uh, well I'm not going to get into it, but it was just something that would be good for my wife and I, but it's not necessarily for the kingdom, nothing big like that, and I felt guilty, so I hadn't let myself mention it in prayer, and so on the way home I thought to myself, well you know, you might as well ask, you might as well knock, you might as well seek, so I said, Lord, now I'm full disclosure, Lord, um, this is not for the kingdom. Uh, I don't know how this is going to help anybody in the kingdom. This is for me and my wife. And the only reason, mm, man, if I could preach, this would be so cool around here. The only reason why I'm asking is because it's not a big deal for you. You see what I did? Uh, Y'all didn't see what I just did there. You see, out of understanding comes faith. How about y'all? Did y'all see what I did right there? It's not a big deal for the kingdom, but it's so small for you. That I'm just going to go ahead on a, uh, and ask on the, uh, on the off chance that while you're in the kitchen, you'll bring me an iced tea. <laughs> That's some deep theology right there, brothers and sisters. Since you're going to the kitchen, sounds like my wife, since you're going to the kitchen anyway, would you go ahead and do the dishes? <laughs> uh, so if you knew you would ask, come on, I'm coming back to that. Don't, don't forget about that. And so here you see uh, Jesus saying, look, you'd ask me. And she said, how can I ask you? Let's be practical. You don't have anything to draw water. And he says, look, it's not the water you, you're thinking about. If uh, this water is just natural water, you'll thirst again. If you drink of the water I would give you, you would never thirst again. Uh, it is an answer to a spiritual thirst. It is, it is more than just water from a well. And uh, at this moment, uh, Jesus, Jesus, and this is so interesting. There's such depth here. And as a, as a preacher, I love to spend time with a passage in the scripture. There's something in me. It's like, I need to do it. I I can't feel spiritual if I'm not, if I don't have a passage of the scripture and I'm really thinking about it and I'm, I'm including it in my, my quiet time and in my prayer. And that's, that's what I did with this passage this week. And there's this image here that John is, he's so, he's just a genius of communication and this image. And, and he asks, he, he, he gives her a chance to decide just how honest she wants to be. I want you to get this. He gives her a chance to decide just how honest she wants to be. He said, go get your husband. In other words, we're talking a little bit, but there there's comes a point of, 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 of talking where, you know, it's, it, at some point this is inappropriate. Uh, go get your husband. And she says at this moment, well, let me just back up. She can cover this moment with a lie and make herself look good, or she can be as honest as is possible at that moment. You see, let me show you how she can cover it up with a lie. She can say, oh, well, I don't know where he is right now. She just covered it with a lie. The little social lies we tell each other in means of kindness and none of your business isness. <laughs> she can cover it up and say, oh, I don't know where he is or he's at work. You see, this is what God does. He stands at the door and knocks. And you decide what happens next with just how true and honest you yeah, want to be. That's right. Some people come to church for years, but they come into the house holding tightly to their lies. And then they wonder why they never have a sense of God 
flooding them. God breaking down the barriers. God doesn't break down the barriers when you can't open up the floodgates, so to speak. You cannot open to receive. I know I'm using conflicting images there, but just work with me on this. I'm making this up on the fly. I do this three times a week. It's a lot. So (laughs) I want you to see. He gives her a chance to stay a child of the lie. This is called, uh, in modern terms, it's called cognitive dissonance. There's a great book. I've mentioned it before. Uh, Mistakes were made, but not by me. How we tell lies to ourselves so we can keep liking ourselves or keep an image of ourselves. A great example, of course, is if you uh, say you're warned at work, you show up late one more time, you're going to be fired. You show up late one more time, guess what happens? You get fired. When you drive home that day, you don't say to yourself, I'm such an idiot. I knew not to be late, but I had to be late. No, it's too painful to tell that kind of truth to yourself. So you lie. You say, I never had a chance there. No, you just stinking showed up late. Don't give me this never had a chance business, but that's what we do. And when we do it, we are of our father, the devil. What? The father of all lies. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. They were living the lie in a religious context. And he said, you're like your father, the devil. When we are the children of the lie, we are like our father, the devil. We have adopted into the wrong kingdom. And so the Lord wants to know how much truth you can handle. And she gives him as much truth as she can give. She says, I have no husband. What does God do when you act truthfully with him. He gives you more truth. If you won't stand in the truth you already know, don't be surprised when you don't get more truth. Well, the Lord didn't tell me, well, have you been doing what you know? If you'll do what you'll know. Thank you, Lisa. I thought so myself as me and you. No one else was agreeing. Uh, If you're not willing to stand in the truth, uh, you know, what are you expecting to see when the Lord's going to come? I mean, honey, if Jesus don't know, you ain't going to know. So um, anyway, that's scripture. Only my father in heaven don't have time for that. So, uh, (laughs) and so I want you to see how he responds to her truth by giving her more truth. It's the same for all of us. She is able to speak truth and he gives her more truth. You have well said, somebody say well said. You have well said, I have no husband. Are you ready for more truth? It seems like you are because you have spoken truth. For you have had five husbands, also known as whoops, there it is. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. Whoops, there it is. That's a theological term. Jesus ends, in that you spoke truly. You want to get to the next step of God? Quit lying to yourself. Quit lying to other people. Stand before him and say, look, let's talk about my problem. You already know about it, but I've been lying about it. I've been calling it a hobby. It ain't a hobby. It's a problem. And the Lord will say, behold, thou speakest truly. It's not a hobby. You've been worshiping them suckers. You need to get an altar and wash that mess off of you. Nathaniel 47 and 6. And so uh, you've spoken truly. And uh, then we have this moment of understanding. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, what do you do with religious people? You talk religious. 
our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place one ought to worship. Now, I want you to see what is happening right here. This is an intelligent woman. There is no structured form of education uh, for women in this time. If they learn, it's because they are interested, and they learn themselves. She's able to talk with understanding about the politics of the time. She's able to talk about the civic realities of the time. She's able to express differing theological opinions. Uh, She didn't go to school. This is all self-taught. She's an intelligent woman. No wonder she was divorced five times. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. I, 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 I you know, uh, so moving right along. I'm not going to tell the joke I told in the 9 a.m. service. Uh, so um, anyway, I, I love our, uh, I, I better get back on track here. <laughs> My wife gave me a look and I was like, I'm uh, right back on track here. So um, she is, she is intelligent. She understands the, the disagreement, the argument. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Jesus responds by saying this, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, that's not how you do it. That's not, not going to be how you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, excuse me, the Jews worship what uh, for we, oh Lord, help me. <laughs> we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Jesus says that to her. I want you to see this. It's not that he doesn't have an opinion. He just doesn't want to argue about it. This is a sign of somebody who knows. It's this way with all strong believers. It's not that if you're strong, you know what you believe. And if you don't, you need to figure it out. You need to get in the scripture. You need to stand in the scripture. And once you're steady, you don't have to fight about it. It's not that you don't have an opinion. He, Jesus looks at her and says, salvation's of the Jews. Now let's move on. I don't argue about that. You see, what, you see what just happened there? And then he says to her, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's my message theme today. We celebrate this in this scripture, in this moment. Jesus says the day is coming and now is. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Who is God looking for? Someone who will worship in spirit and in truth. Who is God looking for? Say it with me. Someone who will worship in spirit and in truth. I want to talk about that. I have preached from this passage many times. I love this insight. Almost every one of the big scenes in John I have preached from many times. And I have, uh, this week thinking about this, I wanted to come up with a practical way to show you uh, what we're talking about here. Notice that none of these spirits and truth is a capital S or a capital T. It's not the one divine spirit he is talking about. It's a lowercase uh, spirit. In other words, it's not a proper noun. It's a noun. It's just a, a understanding, a theme. And so when we talk in terms of spirit, lowercase spirit, and truth, lowercase truth, we are not necessarily talking about Holy Spirit in this He's going to say in verse number 24, God is a spirit. God is spirit. Notice capital S spirit. Uh, What's happening here is these terms are being used as the expression of an idea, uh, how people live their faith, how people approach the presence of God. And so I've looked for a way to express this. And I I really think, um, I've never done this before, but I, I really think the best way to express this is given to us in the stories of Israel 
Israel's greatest two kings. Um, the greatest king of Israel, most celebrated is King David in terms of worship and devotion. The greatest king of Israel is Solomon in terms of political success and uh, blessing. And so uh, I want to show you these two lives. And I want you to remember this two ways people come to God. Uh, there is some things to understand here that I, I don't want to take time. I just want to touch it so you'll understand the depth of this. The Samaritans were known for passion. In fact, the city that Jesus, or the, that they are near is called Sychar. Sychar in, in the uh, Greek means drunken. Uh, the um, Samaritans are famous party animals. In fact, you can tell from this lady's life that she's not a harlot, but she is a party girl. And so uh, you, you, you see they're known as passionate people. Uh, the Jews are all about Torah. They're all about law. And so there is a way to study this passage where you see Jesus contrasting what she knows, this passionate style of personality and expression, and the way the Jews do it, which is law upon law upon law upon law, and you die. <laughs> Two different ways. You can study it that way. Don't have time for that today. I just want to show you the richness and the, the depth that is in this passage. And so uh, when Jesus talks about these ideas, one of the ways we can see the two approaches of, of, of spirit or truth is in the lives of King David and the lives of King Solomon. Let me talk first about Solomon because I, I, I think it is very, very obvious that you can see. Solomon was very well organized as an individual and as a king. He was much more educated educated than his father David. He did everything bigger and in many ways better uh, than any generation that had come before him. Solomon had phenomenal organization skills. Um, his splendor and his pomp and circumstance was so impressive that the king of she the queen of Sheba simply watched him ascend into the temple of God in public worship and she nearly fainted at the sight of the majesty of the city the majesty of the king the majesty of the temple and yet the driving force of Solomon's life was wisdom and knowledge it started with a passion in prayer where he says to God give me now wisdom and knowledge, I'm quoting, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this people? That is so great. This is a wonderful prayer. Uh, all of us should grow up uh, praying that kind of prayer. I, I don't know how old I was uh, when this. I heard a message or something of this story, this exact image of Solomon praying for wisdom and understanding. Uh, but I, as a, a young man, uh, very young, I mean before teen years, um, every, every time we prayed, I would pray this prayer of Solomon, Lord, to give me wisdom and understanding. I don't know where that clicked with me. Um, and I, I have, and uh, since that time to this, there's almost no arena of my life. Even things that... Uh, would be mildly embarrassing uh, to me if I were to confess them to you. I have been willing to ask God for wisdom and understanding uh, in those areas. Now, that's great. That's good. Yay me. Yay Solomon. Um, uh, wisdom and knowledge is good. It is a wonderful thing, but there, there can be, uh, there, there is a limitation to it, and you need to see that. There's a, there is a, a, an essential limitation to it. Wisdom and understanding is not, is not enough. It is not enough 
enough. This is the manner in which you should understand the lower, the, the noun truth. This is the manner in which you should understand the lower case T, not capital case T, which is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, capital T, proper noun. Uh, you should think of lowercase t as a way that people can serve God. You are orderly. You do right things. You do things well. Your life is organized, and you are a wise man, a wise individual. But there's a limitation to what wisdom and knowledge and even lowercase truth can give to you, because we know in the New Testament that, as Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, in, uh, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. And uh, contrastingly, it pleased God to use the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So there is a lot to be said about wisdom and knowledge. And there's a lot to be said about living our life through uh, understanding. And, uh, you can see this in the life of Solomon. He wrote over 3,000 uh, proverbs. And it tells, the Bible tells us, 1 Kings chapter number 4, verses 32 and 33, that uh, along with 3,000 proverbs, Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. And I want you to see this. Solomon spoke of trees. He spoke of the cedar tree. This is all 1 Kings 4. Uh, that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop, which is a vine that springeth out of the wall. Solomon spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and even of fishes. And if you read the Song of Solomon's, you know he talks about the birds and the bees. I thought that was funny, but y'all didn't. So we'll, just, we'll just, just move right along. This is his gift to memory. This is his gift. He is a man of truth. Everything he says is true. His life is orderly. His understanding is great. 3,000 short sermonettes of practical knowledge and practical wisdom. Songs and stories and applications. He gives practical instruction on marriage. So if you're fighting with your wife, you should read some of Solomon's instruction. He gives practical instruction on raising children. So if your children are crazy like mine, you should read some of his uh, instruction. He's well organized. It's concise. It's to the point. Everybody loves it. Now, you can say of Solomon, he had a head full of wisdom and a heart full of songs. These are all good things. He could teach with incredible skill. He was a phenomenal organizer. He had a deep, profound understanding of geopolitics. He was a talented leader. But uh, he ends up in vanity and despair. Now, I want to contrast that with King David. King David is not a man of of knowledge, so to speak. He's not a man of, of, of understanding. He's not excessively organized. Um, he is a man of deep, deep passion. Someone say passion. He is a man of spirit. So we have contrasted on this hand. We have contrasted a man of truth. And now I want to show you a man of spirit. This is 1 Samuel 16, verse number 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. And hear this, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. He is a man of profound passion. It can get him in trouble. It can have him make mistakes of leadership, mistakes of, of politics, mistakes of, of organization. He is a man with deep, deep spirit. Uh, he is going to live this out as an example. Solomon gives us an example of those who approach in 
truth. David gives us an example of those who approach in spirit. And he says to Solomon on his deathbed, his last words, to give an explanation of how he was able to be successful. He says, 2 Samuel 23 and 2, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. I want you to see Solomon is a man of truth. He speaks of trees and hyssop and beasts and creeping things and fish, all good understanding. David is a man of passion. He's always longing for the intervention of God in his life. He's always hungry for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And I'm using that in a modern term, but you understand the spirit of God, the unction of God upon him. He is not a man whose life is very organized. It's not. He's not a man who handles politics with any wisdom. He is, the Bible says, a good bit of a warrior and his approach to politics is to kill them all and let God sort them out. That's not what Solomon does. He's a man of truth. What Solomon does is makes friends with them and he he engages them in commerce and he marries one of their daughters and Israel rises to understanding two different approaches. One is a way of lowercase truth, knowledge, wisdom. The other is a way of deep, deep passion, deep, deep hunger for the things of God. I want you to see something here. Both men end up in error. Solomon ends up losing his faith. David ends up not trusting God, numbering the people when the Lord warns him multiple times not to number the people. They both end in error. Why is that? Because truth by itself is not enough. And spirit by itself is not enough. Here is a reality, and let me preach to all of you here today. You will have a tendency in your personality to err towards spirit or err toward truth. You'll like the teaching more than the preaching. Uh, you'll like it quiet and calm. Now, dearly beloved, we have come together into the house. That's the way you'll like it. You're like, my God, that's my song. <laughs> Others of you will show up and you're like, I'm a little upset with Nathan because he just wants to talk about concepts. I want him to stomp and I want him to dance and I want him to wave his hands and I want him to say maha three times. You are inclined by your... Let me tell you who God's looking for. He's not just looking for people who want to shout and he's not just looking for people who want to study. There is a day coming and now is that he wants you to get your Bible, put it under your arm, and then shout. He wants you to bring yourself into his presence in spirit and truth. Now let me give you some insight into the limitations of just spirit or just truth. Truth is right living, knowledgeable understanding. Uh, truth is not enough. Spirit is passion and hunger. Passion and hunger is not enough. Here is a reality. Spirit struggles to build. David, you won't get to build the house. Your son Solomon, he's going to get to build the house. Spirit struggles to build Truth struggles to worship. Solomon, you need to get out that fancy robe. You need to quit standing in front of the people and say, now do the good works of the Lord. You need to get a little bit of what your father had and put on an ephod and get off your fancy carriage and lift your hands to heaven and say, God, if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it. 
Let me say it again. I know I'm laying some heavy stuff on you. I don't even care. I'm leaving town tomorrow. I'm already gone on the inside. I'm leaving this mess for someone else to clean up. That's all I've got to say. Here's what I want you to see. Spirit struggles to build. It just wants to feel. Truth struggles to worship. It just wants to get the to-do list done. And God's looking for somebody who will worship in spirit and in truth. Do you see? Do you see? Musicians come, I'm almost done. So, we all of us live our life with the need and the necessity to be people of God, people of heaven, people who are anointed to manifest the kingdom of God. I feel like there's a, a fight going on over here. Is everything okay? Oh, okay, it's a baby. Babies can get a get out of jail free card. Don't worry about that. You was a baby. Someone put up with you. You know, you was a bad baby too. Your mom didn't beat you enough. Babies get babies are fun. So uh, uh, I want I want you to see we all of us we want to get it right with God. But I want to show you how that happens. And I'm almost done. So hear this: we can approach in spirit, and we can approach in truth. But to get it right, we have to have elements of both of them in our life. How does that happen? When Jesus speaks to the disciples in John 16, same book, same same outpouring, same revelation, John says, quoting Jesus, when the Spirit When the Holy Ghost is given, he calls it the spirit of truth. Okay, y'all missed that. I I thought it was really good, honey. I was doing good. I thought I was going to get a raise this week. I expect people to run in the house. How do we get it wrong? Too much spirit, too little truth. Too much truth, too little spirit. Letter killeth, spirit gives life. You need both. Why? Both were given to us. How are these things reconciled? In the Holy Ghost, it is not just spirit or truth. It is the spirit of. The spirit of truth. And so I am so much wanting us to balance this in our heart and in our life and balance this in our spirit and let the Holy Ghost not just lead us to understanding which it will do but also fill us with the the unction let it happen at First Church oh God I pray we want understanding but we want unction we want knowledge but we want outpouring can I have a big amen church Let it start right here in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. And so I want to end with this. Remember what Jesus says to the lady. He says this to her. He says, uh, if you knew, you would ask. So what are you going through in your life? What are you facing? What are you dealing with? If you knew what God could do, you would ask. So where's your frustration at? I'm almost done. Where's your frustration at? If you knew, you would ask. Let's all stand all across the house. I'd like you to lift your hands. I'd like you to focus your attention. 
God could do, you would ask. So what are you willing to ask for here today? What are you willing to ask for here today? Will you ask? Step out of the chair you're in right now and make your way down here to the front. We, this is how we end our services, our guests and friends. Feel free to come with us. We won't embarrass you in any way, I promise you. We just, this is how we end. We're glad you're here. At some point in your spiritual becoming, you have to have an awakening of the spiritual possibilities that exist as a result of what God has invested in you through talents, gifts, word, anointing, Holy Spirit, and the context in which God has placed you. At some point, you have to have like a, an awakening of, of the possible. That's what faith is. It feels like I have a sense of how God could do something. I don't know how I'll get there, but I have this sense. Now, if you don't have any sense of your giftings, that's a different issue. You need to get working in the kingdom, and out of the work will reveal the passion and the talent. That's why gifts make room for themselves. Get to work. Don't, don't, don't sit in a corner and ask yourself what you should do. That's not how they're, they're, the gifts make room for yourself. You might get a word of knowledge that way, but that's not a revelation of a gift within a people. That's why you know them that labor among you. I don't have time to preach another message, although I have two or three more in me here today. Okay? Now that's not how... Get in work. Get, get involved. Get involved. Find a place and get to work. You, I might not be good at it. Yeah, that's what ministry feels like. <laughs> if I had to be good at half the stuff I do, well, you get the idea. That's the wrong question. Just get started. And out of the work out of the opportunity will come a revelation of what you can do where your passions are where your anointing is where the unction is you just get started it's not hard to do in fact lesson four today of first steps is connecting you to ministry opportunities in our church that's all it is we connect you to leaders so you can begin volunteering you say oh I don't know if I'm good at that you should have heard my first message besides the fact it was awesome Nobody starts at the level where they're known among their brethren. They start by saying, bless God, if it hair lips the devil, I'm going to do something around here. You get started, you dive in. Out of that, out of that, I'll never forget, uh, forgive me for picking on you, Tiffany, when she first was looking for something and she, she really felt like there was an opportunity and she had, me and her talked for how long? Four or five months? And maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. And then one day she said, you know, I want to mentor the kids. And I have a team that I've talked to of people that want to mentor. Out of that came Prosper You. You see what I'm saying? So that's just one of the ministries of our church. You could volunteer in that and see if you're good at it. <laughs> you might be a rock star. Right. You see what I'm Find something. Try. Out of that comes an awareness of what you can do. Out of that becomes people know you. But in that process, there comes a moment where you're aware of, man, I, I, I don't know how. Forget about how. That's a God thing. Okay. Think about what God has invested in you. Think about the context in which you have been placed. And tell God you're available. Because that's how you get qualified in God's kingdom. You show up. That's a third message I don't have time to preach here today. You show up. 
now at some point you get a sense of what can be. When that happens, faith begins to build within you. And you think, man, I should ask. I should ask. I'm ready to ask. And so Jesus said, look, if you had any idea what's going on here, you would ask of me. But because you cannot see, I'm asking of you. Sounds like church. I said it sounds like church. You don't have a sense. Your eyes haven't been opened. I can tell the demons are still here. We didn't get rid of that witch or that warlock. It could be your neighbor. Once you have a sense, you would ask. But because you have no sense to ask of God, God's having to ask of you. Can you pray with me for an hour? Could we get some help over here? I'm seeking somebody. Because we don't see, we don't know. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, that we would ask of you, not simply endure you asking of us. This is what the kingdom of heaven is made of. People who begin to open their eyes, they begin to get it, and they begin to ask of you. Oh, Lord, I just feel like something good is about to happen. Can I be part of it? I just want to be part of it. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know how. I don't know what I'm good at, but I'm sure I'm good at many, many things. I just want to be a part of it. Lord Jesus, let us start right here among these people. These hungry, good, God-fearing people that are in this house right now. Let the passion of the kingdom begin to bubble within us like a hot fire burning beneath a kettle of anointing, a kettle of talent, a kettle of opportunity and ability. And out of that come a great anointing in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All across the house, would you praise him one more time? We bless you, oh God. 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 Amen. Amen. This week, in reach, make plans. Be social. The first step of making a difference in your world is being social. Make plans. Be social. Love somebody. Get Make a friend. That's this week. So Wednesday night service will not be here. We're having in-reach plans. We have big plans for in-reach going into the fall. You'll be hearing about that. Uh, it's going to get much more orderly. And you're going to be have houses in your neighborhood or your area of town that you'd be going to. Today's lesson four of First Steps. This is the path to membership here at First Church. You have questions you want to get to know. Let's sit. Let's visit. We've made a place. We've opened our hearts. We need you to open your heart back to us. That's right across the parking lot in about 10 minutes. Uh, God bless you all. We love you. You're dismissed. Don't just slip out. Talk to somebody. Speak life to somebody. Introduce yourself to somebody. You know you're big time celebrity. You might as well show somebody some love. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.